In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out, you ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court, they already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for like LeBron's last year, this year, next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be dead. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. All the smoke. Day three, Los Angeles. Jack has been a nice couple days. Uh, got the opportunity to finish strong with uh, someone who's, man, been in the game since he was a youngster. Mm-hmm. Brought us a lot of classics 
Uh, welcome to the show, Alan Hughes. Thank you, sir. Alan. We My appreciate brother. your time, yes, man. Yes, sir. Uh, award-winning director, um, producer. Um, what's new? How's life? We know you just dropped Dear Mama. I'm unemployed. Right now. <laughs> I'm unemployed. Currently speaking. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you do the, it, it must be the same thing in sports. It's like when the season ends. It's just no more, what is that, what is that, like, fight or flight? It's mm -hmm. the whole time, fight or flight. fight. And that. then once it's over, it's, you're like, yeah. you have to learn what to do with your time. Mm -hmm. and, Before yeah. we get into Dear Mama, um, which was absolutely incredible, and we'll get into that, um, as I told you before, I'm a huge Pac fan and obviously have followed your guys' journey together, the ups, the downs. Uh, let's get into that. How did you guys originally meet? I met him, I keep saying a Waffle House, but that's a Southern thing. I met him at a pancake house in San Francisco when my brother and I went up there to do um, a, a digital underground, basically a digital underground video was um, Money B had a group called Raw Fusion. But digital underground was so tight that when we met with them, Shock G, everyone's at the table at the pancake house, you know. And Tupac wasn't famous yet. And I didn't know he had just signed a record deal. And Juice was in the can, but he still wasn't famous. And it was clear at the end, of, this kid at the end of the table was uh, the most charismatic, the funniest. He just was, I was drawn to him immediately. Um, and you guys are teenagers at this time, 18, 19, 19 years old? Yeah, eight, okay. maybe in 18, because this is early. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we had a private moment, he, he said, I just signed a record deal, and I, I want you guys to do my first music videos. The next day was our first music video. That's how crazy. That was your first music that video? That was our first music okay. video we were up there for. We had these little short films, these little Super 8 films. One was called The Drive-By. One was called Menace to Society, no relation to the film. And he saw those. And sure enough, three weeks later, the record label called us, and we were off to the races doing all three of his uh, uh, music videos for his first album, debut album. So that was Brenda's Got a Baby. Trap first. Trap, okay. Brenda's Got a Baby. By the time we got to Brenda's Got a Baby, we, we were having difficulties in the relationship. <laughs> and then we had the third video was when my homies called. We just... He basically directed it. By that time, the relationship was really mm -hmm. rocky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Dear Mama, um, a piece that was based off of Feeney, but I read somewhere that once you kind of decided to take it, you kind of wanted to intertwine the two worlds between him and his mom and obviously his greatness and his mom's activist. Talk to us about, obviously, you know, you guys had your ups and downs. You know, there's a story where you had his homeboys get at you. Um, how hard was it for you to really kind of say like, okay, it's been X amount of years. I want to, I want to take this project on. You know, we, we were, I was, we were, I was, uh, making the defiant once, which came out in 2017. And that was a four part series on Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iving and their partnership. Part three was the whole explosive era of the early nineties and death row. And then ultimately Tupac. And I remember uh, while we were editing that, Tupac just kept taking over the movie. Literally, like for a whole year, he was taking over the movie. His energy was, you, you can't help but to go where energy is. the energy is. Mm -hmm. And I kept wrestling it back from him because he's, he's just a rock star. You know, it's, it's very difficult not to let that energy take. So that's when I was like, wait a minute. I started dealing with his passing for the first time, I think. And Easy E as well, because Easy was my first mentor in the business before I even met Tupac or anyone, you know. And I was dealing with Easy's passing, and I was so I was having like an experience on on Defiant Ones, and and the estate came in and to approve things and disapprove things. So Tupac Estate, they're not, um, 
they're not easy. They, you know, they, they, they look at everything. So uh, that's when it began. Um, and then when they approached me a year later, I was like, nah, I don't think I want to do this because I didn't want to do another documentary. It takes everything out of you too, you know? And it's all, it's real people. You guys talk about Glow, Tupac's aunt. Mm-hmm. You, not, you know, you're dealing with a real human being. This ain't the movies. This is not mm-hmm. pretend. So it, it goes in your spirit, your right. soul, and you become a family with these people. So when they approached me, I didn't want to do it because of that. But also I'm like, I don't know if I, his fans, a lot of his fans don't want to like me. And what are they going to think of that? So I was having that, that, but I went home and I thought about it. I said, wait a minute. I was raised by a single mother who was an activist in the women's rights movement and radical too. My mom was radical like a, like a Fanny was. My mom's Armenian. Um, I said, wait, if I can find out about him through his mother and that's my experience. And they were with it. They were with it. They were like, yes. I heard, um, you know, obviously Pac's ashes were dumped in a beach in Malibu when they all gathered. And I heard there was a piece of paper that was slid to you and you kind of found out the address and mm-hmm. explain because I thought that was super fascinating. Talk to us about that. I forget Matt be doing his homework and shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're a war winner. <laughs> you guys, man, you guys are the best in this game, I think. Thanks, I really thank believe you very much. Um, thank you. The, the conversations you guys have are the realest ones I've ever seen. So I got to be careful. God damn it. <laughs> I'm not a big Malibu guy myself, you know, but I had I was leasing a place on the beach way up there and um for a couple of years. And um in that meeting, the second meeting where I agreed to do it, um someone from the estate slid an address to me. And and I looked at this address and at the end of me, I'm like, why is she sitting just you know, this address is like seemingly right next to where I met my house was. And at the end, she said to me, that's where we put his ashes. Mm. And I went, ooh. Mm. Literally like steps away from where my house mm. was. And I was like, all right, well. Meant to be. Let's go on. Because I also knew too, like in agreeing to do it, I knew I was going to take bullets. You know, there's going to be misunderstandings initially. But I know when people get to see it, they'll see my heart was absolutely mm, in the right pure. place. Because I'm trying to find an understanding. Pure. And as black men and black women, the people of color all over too like we can't be having misunderstandings these two dudes ain't here because of a misunderstanding, a misunderstanding. Right. they just weren't communicating mm-hmm. you know they were shutting themselves off so i said let me go ahead and take the bullets show people that at 50 i'm willing to look back with snoop too you can see snoop looking back and going hey these were boys making silly decisions now we're men and we can analyze this and help our children you know, look at things in the right perspective, I feel, you know. Well, we got a chance to, I mean, Snoop laid on that couch and smoked like 10 blunts while we interviewed him. Um, <laughs> See, but, that was one of my other favorite interviews. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, but me kind of talking to him off camera and, and on camera, his kind of before Pac left, the odds they were at. And obviously read up on you. And how hard was it, first of all, for you to kind of forgive it? But then also when you said you went back and you saw that he had, there was recordings of him apologizing that you never knew about. And how hard was it, was it for you to, you know, once he passed, and I guess you said you started reminiscing during the defiant ones to kind of be like, damn, I wish I would have, or I did like, when did that kind of kick in for you? I knew a few years ago that I wish I was man enough to go see him in prison. That I kind of knew because in the back of my head, I just felt my spirit that I wish I was mad because I knew I would have had a captive audience, quite literally. <laughs> like, he would have heard me and I would have heard him, you know. Um, uh, it wasn't until I started doing press about six weeks ago that I realized I have a tremendous amount of compassion for him now. 
I never had compassion for him, you know? And that's a big word, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about like a journey and understanding someone. Um, so I feel him now. Like I, we all feel Tupac. We, we feel his music, but I go, oh wow, when you see the film, and that's the revelation I think in the film is you go, wow, look at all this shit he came from. Look what he was born into. Look what the expectation was. Look at the trauma he inherited. Look at the PTSD inherited. So there's all that mental health stuff that, again, in the black community, we never talked about in the 90s, let alone the 80s, 70s, and 60s. So when I saw a year ago, it was only a year ago, I saw the Tabitha Soren MTV interview where he not only apologized again, but she asked him, I didn't put it in the movie, she asked him, would you ever want to work with them? And he's like, no, they're great filmmakers. I would, I would, I would hope that I can work with them in the future. And that gave me goosebumps. I never knew it existed, right? You know. And I was like, wow. You know, when you look at Tupac, I've heard this from a lot of people. Uh, women, especially, they're like, I want to hug him. I want to save him. I want to, you know, like if I if if I could have just. He knew he was great, but all that stuff. I don't know if 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 any of us could have sat down, and got him to sit down. You know, and so I look back, you go, uh, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the one thing that I really, when I, when I was able to watch the doc and found was just his constant workload, how much he was on the move and how much he would do in, in a single day. And it almost just seemed like, and you guys painted such a great picture of, it seemed like, you know, obviously an untimely death, but he was going to burn out somehow, some way. He was just going too hard as far as just, life yeah can you call them we call them runners my mother taught me that my mother's a runner my mother's a hustler she went from welfare to millionaire on her own um single mother and but she didn't start doing therapy to later and you know a lot of people that build empires are just running you know and you see people like they just all their days are they got families and everything but their days are stacked with all the work you're running from something you're not dealing with something you know and that's what I, I felt. And, and and God bless him because he had every right to, when you come from abject poverty too, you have every right to be running towards the mountain of gold for your, to his credit too, was always about his family and his people and other people that he wasn't even related to. When I knew him, you would go, when he had no money, he lived right off of Lake Merritt in Oakland. He had no money. He was in a bum ass apartment. There were always teenagers in there that he was taking care of, like orphans. So he was always about the community and whatever. So he was working that hard for everyone. You know, it wasn't just him running from his own demons, you know, mm-hmm. I feel, you know. Uh, the success of Dear Mama, the ratings through the roof. Um, overall, I mean, how do you, you, you've done so many great projects. Uh, we, we, how do you look at a success of a project? Does it, does the outside opinion matter? Or you know that I put everything I had into it and it, I'm good, I'm at peace. I mean, obviously this rated high, everything you do rated high, but how do you look at success on, on Oh no, I caught a couple bricks. <laughs> I got some, um, I think you measure it, like we did a documentary years ago, my brother and I, American Pimp. And it's very hard to find that goddamn thing. Try finding it, right? But it became a, a, a cult classic, right? And in the time it was really painful because you're like, is anyone, but I, I see people along the way, years, it really it affected them or they they memorized, whatever it is. So, you know, you got to, um, with Dear Mama, I know I put, my, I put my soul into it. So I knew before we had the ratings record at the network and 100% on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics, like everyone, the culture digging it. I didn't know what the culture was going to think. I didn't know what they were going to think of me, but I was prepared for it. But in, hi- in hindsight, before 
all the um, good news came in, I was like, you know what? I told my uh, partner, I said, you know what? People may get this 10 years from now. Don't expect for them to get it now because it's very emotional. It's complex. And I didn't think I didn't think very many people. No, we got it. We, yeah. we got it now. Trust me, we got that shit right. That was incredible. <laughs> I mean, obviously with it being dear mama, but I, I, I think you know your early vision to obviously intertwine and look at him through his mom's eyes. I've never seen. I'm a huge Pac fan. I've never seen anyone just being able to break down and and talk and 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 show so many different sides of him. You know, like mm -hmm. you say, you think you've seen everything out there on him because he's been gone for so long, but you guys had shit that no one had seen. Uh, instrumentals. Uh, you know, putting different beats behind his music. Uh, just the creativity of the project overall was just like, I was blown away. I binge watched, me and my girl got in a fight because I just watched that shit straight. I'm like, baby, I got to interview him. Well, can you do that? I was just like, no, I'm watching this shit straight. This is what it is. That's an emotional five hours, shit. Yeah, it was a good. lot of people talking about, I didn't expect um, a lot of people talking about crying a lot. They're crying when they've seen this thing. And I'm like, wow, you know. I held my, I held my thug tears back. Yeah. But yeah, you could definitely. I can see where people can get it though. No, it's a, it's um, with him, the number one thing is I wanted to understand him, and I'm also a want to be DJ. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, we we felt him, we heard the words. I have a, a rule in the editing room: if Grandma don't understand, it's got to go. And that's a lot of reason why we took the beats out sometimes and just had the words to compositions, so that Grandma can understand or people that aren't necessarily Tupac fans can be brought into the poetry because I was never a poetry fan. I don't understand poetry. <laughs> I'll just be real. And it wasn't to this journey. I'm like, wow, this dude really was a poet. Like, oh, I get it now, you know, reading this stuff and hearing this stuff and and also keeping in mind, move hip hop out of the way, move acting out of the way. Tupac first is an artist, like a pure artist, a poet. And when you're a pure artist, when you see his journey and he painted in life with his life, right? Um, I talk a lot about the delusions of artists. Artists live in a fantasy world. They don't see what normal people see. So a lot of that stuff with Tupac, when people have these misunderstandings about him, even that night in ATL where he shot the two dudes, two cops in the ass, right? He's not seeing what we're all seeing. He's seeing another movie. And you have to add that in there too, uh, not just the activism, not just the way he was raised, not just, um, his emotional state, you know, not just the fact that he's a method actor, but you have to add in there that there's these dreams and hopes and fantasies of a pure artist, and it's it's a it's a different world, you mm. know. Mm. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot. And every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. 
What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palbociclib. Ibrant's 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrant's and visit Ibrant's.com. Ibrant's may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrant's may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Born in Detroit, uh, youngest brother by nine minutes. Um, Does that count? Right. I got twins too. They're six minutes apart. Um, anything early days you remember before you guys migrated uh, to California? Big ass rats like Ben. Remember that movie Ben? <laughs> Mike made a song about this shit. It was real sweet. There ain't nothing sweet about them big ass rats without the tail. The we got a cat one time in Detroit. We were living in this tenement building. We got a cat to fuck off the rats, right? And and the rat, I'm sorry, the cat, I'm fucked up. No smoke. The cat went um, missing. Got eaten. Like we hired this motherfucker to, you know, <laughs> to get <laughs> that's the neutral rats. Mm-hmm. So check this out. Two weeks later, we we got our little sled in the snow. That's no it. No tail. No, without the tail. 
Two weeks later, we had our sled, and we're going through the snow. That motherfucker was laid over there. Whole cavity opened up. Them rats were eating his ass a lot. Mm, That's him. Detroit. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I remember. Fuck a cat. Mm. Uh, you guys move out to Claremont, California. Pomona first. Pomona first. Okay. Yeah. That's what I, a that's big for, difference. That, that's, yeah, huge difference. <laughs> shout out, uh, sh- shout sugar. out, Damian Roderick. That Percy. That's sugar free. <laughs> uh, no, that's the sugar free. Yeah, uh, no, no. My home, but Snoop's homeboy, uh, Percy, that's that's from Pomona. But yeah, sugar free was out there. Sugar free was actually born in the Bay, wasn't he? He's born in Oakland. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense now. And then that moved to Pomona, piece. right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. but then moved to Pomona. But uh, yeah, uh, the IE, so to speak, from Detroit. What was that like for you, uh, you know, Armenian and, and, and black, correct? Yep. When we got out here in 1980, Reagan had just been voted in the office and things changed. We're changing, you know. And being from Detroit then, too, there's there were always jokes like, you say you're from Detroit, everyone goes. It was a it was a badge of street honor back then, even though we were little, little kids. Um but it was a culture shock just seeing palm trees and not going through the four seasons. I think it's important for kids to go through the four seasons, the fall, the you know, all the leaves and all that stuff that happens outside of California. But um, to see, to to be there and be eight, nine, 10, 11 years old when um, all the programs were taken away, we know now, like after school program, programs, you know, all that stuff that we were relying on not to fall prey to gangs and drugs we were at the epicenter of that at that age and in that era you know and i know detroit got eviscerated by crap you know so it it was happening in all communities you know of color and obviously throughout the states um so it didn't it it looked sexier out here but it it wasn't much yeah more you know uh you spoke to your mom i mean her raising both you guys putting herself through school um and and you spoke to her hustle uh speak Mm -hmm. a little more about how that shaped you and, and what your mom was about I think that's why we we never like uh, succumbed to any of that uh, trappings of of like uh, excess. When, we, when she started making her money, she still would only buy us three pants, one pair of payless shoes, three sh- shoes. three shirts, and just payless shoes. Yeah. I remember that shit because you can get three for like forty bucks. <laughs> they used to make them. At one point, they were making them look like the Jordan replicas too, so you can get away with that for like the first thirty minutes of school. Then they look at them motherfuckers like, good. nah, they get a real good look at them joints. But she was all about like she would always pay for the the arts. Like all our friends had Adidas suits, suits, track suits, the shell toes, the gold. She would not indulge any of that. If 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 I wanted to play guitar, she'd buy any guitar I wanted. My brother wanted to do art. Any so when we got into filmmaking, she would invest in the cameras and stuff like that. But never into like um, bullshit, like a uh, um, material thing. A craft. You know? She wanted you to invest yep. in a craft. Yeah. Yep. So. Once we got in high school and started really doing film and stuff and making little movies and then getting out of high school, we never got caught up in the party life. We never got caught up in the shit that wasn't important. So our that's why we made Menace at 20, I think, because we were focused on the thing, not the hanging out part, you know, the excessive hanging out part. We got that from our mother. She's a no bullshit, like, what am I here for? But in a fun way, you come to, if, if, if I show up to a party, I'm not just there to hang out. I'm like, I'm coming to see Matt. I'm coming to see Steven. I'm coming to see someone that I know I'm going to connect to, but I'm not going to just go to a party just to kick it, kick it or get my mm-hmm. name out there, mm-hmm. or, you know? So mm-hmm. she taught us that, that type of stuff where it's just focus. Like, what is your, what's your path? She's all about like, uh, what was the saying she got from my man? Follow your bliss. Mm. 
like finding your bliss yep. and find that thing that turns you on. And uh, she got us these shirts when we were young. I can't remember. I remember now they make, made a huge impact. It was five penguins walking in a line. And the four were behind this one. The four penguins were normal. And the one out front had a cigar, a hat, a Hawaiian shirt that said, be unique. That She got us those shirts. And I go, why are those penguins? Are those bi-? Now I look, I go biracial. I, I don't know what she was doing. But she was telling us, like, stay out front. Be yourself. Don't fall into, like, um, uh, you know, everyone wants to be cool and fi- don't follow. Don't follow no trends and not like that. Be yeah. yeah. Be authentic, be you. your authentic yeah. self. Question, as someone who had twins, when did you guys finally get to start dressing in your own, kind of your own personality? <laughs> I, I know your mom probably had y'all matching and shit, and I know that my twins used to hate it. Man, past five, that shit was not hot. <laughs> right. <laughs> past five, that shit is cute for right. five The first five years, yeah. that's it. I hated being a twin. I still hate being a twin. Really? Yeah, because that motherfucker right there, in school, if he catches a beef with someone, now nah, I got to yeah, deal yeah, with that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was you guys relate? Were you best friends? Beef? What was your guys' relationship? Both. We were best friends okay. and, and but, be, but, motherfucker but, but, would be throwing VCRs at me, all kinds of shit. <laughs> My brother would get vicious with fights. He'd throw shit. TVs. <laughs> so it was... <laughs> That's funny, yeah. Where Here is he? Huh? Where is he? He's in, he lives in Prague. Really? My brother lives in Prague. Interesting. Yeah. How long has we, he been over there? He's been over there like 20, 20 something years because oh, we did this film with Johnny Depp called From Hell about Jack the Ripper. We shot that over there. And that over, I, I encourage more people in America, more whatever, get outside. Oh, yeah. Go see, go see Europe. That shit opens your mind up, you know? And I, his mind got open and he stayed there. Yeah. Damn. Directing as your brother, as the Hughes brothers. I did a lot of legendary uh, movies, especially in our culture. Um, Let's talk about three of those movies, um, Menace Society 1, the process of doing that. I mean, I come from it. Just that whole movie was just, it, it, it wasn't just exciting to our culture, but it told so many people's stories, the way a lot of people was living. You know what I mean? And to see that on the big screen, to see it played out like in real time, like how real shit really go on, like that really did a lot for our culture. Talk about that, the process of that movie. I think the important thing I remember at the time we were selling that is... You remember the show Cops? That's what we saw. We saw on the news every night, young black males running from the cops, mm-hmm. the helicopter point of view. I remember at the time Spike Lee talking about, and he was right, when Siskel and Ebert didn't like one of his films, he said, I don't make my films for you. I make it for my community, right? And he was correct in that. Menace was different. I felt we needed to make it for white people. Um, I, I felt black people would appreciate it and know it. But I, again, that word understanding, I think we made that so you can see how that kid became that one on the news you're looking at and humanize them. As hardcore as Menace is, you got to humanize, you know, uh, these 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 children, their children, you know. And um, that was the number one reason we made that film was just to get an understanding so we all weren't looked at like animals. Um, and as brutal as the film was also, like people were in 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 the culture, like, if you were lucky enough to make a, a black film back then, it had to have a message. It had to be kind of sweet and have this good ending. You know, you didn't really have much control over your material. And and we grew up on noir film. We grew up on Scorsese and De Palma and all that hardcore shit. So we wanted to make a statement. It wasn't a message film. It was making a statement. And it was a cautionary tale as well. And we knew we didn't want it to end pretty. It's part of the reason, too, in Dear Mama, 
I grapple with, like, I go, we have to be careful about not making Tupac's death sexy. Because there's nothing sexy about getting shot. There's nothing sexy about dying prematurely. So that was what Menace was about. And now it's a full circle moment with, with, with dealing with the Tupac thing because eerily enough, he kind of became mm -hmm. that for better or worse. Mm -hmm. he, he embodied it for a reason and he went out like that, you know. Can you speak to real quick, um, I was fortunate enough to, before John Singleton passed, got a chance to go to the uh, Poetic Justice 25 year anniversary. We watched it with him and everything, but I thought what was really dope was after he told us who possibly could have played the other characters and who were they were looking at. Can you talk to us a minute society about who possibly could have played other roles or who you guys were thinking roles were for? First of all, I gotta give a shout out to Tyron Turner because he gets Tyron's mad at me homie. when I don't. Tyron, I'm acknowledging yeah, you right Tyron's now. The homie. He, was a, he was a raw talent. I saw him in a, a Janet Jackson video Rhythm Nation video. I saw him on an episode of America's Most Wanted. He played a blood, even though he's from a Crip neighborhood. I said, who is this? This dude was going bananas. I find out he's from that, so he knows that. Um, so we fought real hard to get him. That was the only right. I start with Tyrant because we didn't have anyone in mind for that role but him. We were just obsessed with him. O-Dog was written for Eazy-E. And um, I got I to gotta carefully say this because Ice Cube has stated a few times that we offered him that role. I don't know who offered him that role. Um, God bless him because they were just coming boy. off of Boys in the Hood, right? Yeah, we never, mm -hmm. we never considered Ice Cube because mm -hmm. because Boys in the Hood right, was so yeah. good. Um, and we had this easy thing at the time, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean he didn't get contacted by our casting yeah, agent. Ain't no you telling, know? right? But in our minds, we wrote that for Easy because mm. we were with Easy while we were putting that script together, mm. and that's who we were looking for. Easy. That's another story, you know, um, Cube had, had been gone for a year. Dre was leaving when this was happening. And him and Jerry were very controlling. So that's, I had to get, kind of get out from underneath that. And so now we have to find a new guy. Um, and we're looking for the easy look, you know, bulky, um, typical. And um, we can't find O-Dog. And then the casting director says, I'll bring you, I'll bring in the guys that, that I didn't want you guys to see. And that's when Lorenz Tate walked in. And and he didn't look, he looked like a Disney kid at the time. But once I said action, he he was right there. He was, what you saw in the film, he was, he came with that. I can't act like we gave that to him or, you know, he came with that. Um, uh, AWACS, um, which was uh, MCA, MCA. Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be MC Ran first. Ah, okay. We met with him several times. Um, but Easy and Jerry were blocking that, you mm. know. Um, so thank God, because mm. MCA killed MCA that. Is the shit. Mm. Um, uh, and Tupac was meant to play Sharif, the Muslim, the Muslim which became go. the challenge for him. You know, um, he didn't. He signed on because he was our homeboy, and he got the movie green. They said, "If you, we're not going to greenlight the movie unless you get a platinum recording artist." I go fly up to Oakland and. He agrees to do it. But at the time that people have to understand too, like we were so close, the thing, the real misunderstanding where we're all like uh, um, accountable is we were meant to be making movies with Tupac. So you can imagine when he tells me one day, um, he's in pre-production on Poetic Justice. He goes, me and John Singleton agreed. I'm only starring in John Singleton movies. We're going to be like Scorsese and De Niro. And he gets like that. He gets really when once he starts a relationship with you, he gets he's fire. It's all passion. So I'm sitting there kind of hurt too. Like damn, right. 
And he goes, no, I'll still do, I'll do the, the supporting role. I'll still do that, but I'm only starring in John Singleton movies. So that's what happened there. Mm. Mm. Dead presidents. <sighs> Dead presidents. <sighs> Too young to make that movie. That's all I think. That's all I think. How old were you at that time? 22. So you did, you, what, you did Menace at 20? Yep. And then Dead President 22. Why do you feel like you're too young? Because when you look at the story, I just think that there's some really cool stuff in it. But the thing that's glaring is when he gets back from Vietnam, you're like, I don't think he struggled enough to go pull, pull that caper off and get that violent. Like there's some beats missing it. You know, like me now as a storyteller going, he needed more job rejection. He needed more like real life strife and fucked up shit happening to him. And there just wasn't, there was beats missing, you know? And then there's something that Denzel taught taught me. How do I say this? You can't have your hero compromised and him not go get the dude that compromised him. So when the pimp did that thing to him, at the very least, Lorenzo's character should have gone back towards the end of the movie and threw him out of a building. Something, you know, got him. And that, so the audience at the time, Menace wasn't a hit, it was a mild success. And I think, I Menace, I'm sorry, Dead Presidents was a mild success. I think it was a mild success because it's so nihilistic, nihilistic, whatever the word is towards the end, you're like, damn, this dude just got shit on. Wasn't you know? the pimp uh, a boy from Hustling the Flow? No, that's a... a, a he was in the, uh, Clifton Powell was the pimp. Oh, Clifton Powell was the pimp. Yeah. Cuddy, yeah. Cuddy, Cuddy, Cuddy. Yeah, yeah Clifton yeah, Powell Cuddy. was the pimp. Cuddy. But as, as, a, as a, I look at a movie sometimes like a record, it had, you know, if there's 12... 18 tracks on there. He had like five oh, hot no, tracks. Oh, no, some bangers. Bangers. As a storyteller now, I know I go, damn, I wish I could tell that story now because now I would know how to. You guys seen Deer Hunter and all that shit? I haven't. Uh-uh. Yeah. Who, but who, who was the, no, no, no. He was in the pool hall. Terrence, Terrence Howard. Howard. That's what I'm thinking about. Terrence, oh, Terrence Howard. Howard was in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrence Howard. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, Terrence. Yeah, Howard. Terrence Howard. That was one of his first roles. I was taking with him when he came in. He came in for Lorenzo's role, Anthony, and he came in as we know him. And I'm like, dude, you're not getting the starring role, but we got something you know. for you. And it was his first movie, or because he did Mr. Holland's Opus with um, Richard Dreyfus and Dead Presence was his first movie. Yeah, Chris Tucker. How was it working with him? Man, Chris, he was awesome. He is awesome. Um, I went and saw, there's the Comedy Act Theater down there. We were looking for some, we were going to see someone else, and I saw Chris. And Chris had one movie in the can, and it was Friday. It hadn't come out yet. I didn't know that. So this is essentially one of his second movie as well. He was extraordinary. A lot of that stuff in the film was ad lib. You know, some of it we did in rehearsals and put it in a script. Other stuff was, and I wish again you talk about like youth being wasted on the youth. If if I had to do it all over again, I'd put more Chris Tucker through the whole movie. He kind of drops out for a while mm -hmm. and then comes back for the heist. Mm -hmm. And when we when we test screen the movie, like not only just the humor, but people really felt his dramatic chops in that one. He, he sold it. Yeah, oh, he big was time. Good. Yeah, he, he was he good. It. He went all in. I would make um. I would make these mixtapes because there were no playlists back then um, for Lorenz and all the guys with, you know, Curtis Mayfield, Isaac Hayes, all the stuff from back then just get them in the vibe, you know. And um, we would watch old movies, where, whether it was Sergio Leone movies or like Once My Time in America. Um, 
obviously Goodfellas, not Goodfellas, I'm sorry, um, um, Apocalypse Now. Like we sit down all as like, you know, 21, 22 year olds and just have sessions where we were studying the Godfathers, all that stuff just together with all this old music and getting getting them into the lingo because there's the movie The Mac, mm -hmm. Richard Pryor's in it. And they, Chris and Lorenz studied that a lot for the rhythms and the linguistics. Motherfucker, can you buy that? Straight up. <laughs> 20, I, I, I gave him 20, right? Gave him 20, right? You gave, you gave him 20. Five. Five, five from you, right? Five plus seven. Five, five plus seven plus two from you. Motherfucker, can you, you buy, buy that? that? <laughs> He's a rest haven for hoes. He's a rest haven for hoes. <laughs> a copy. Say, say, look, say, look. Say, 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 Jelani, say, Jelani, you know the name of the game. Your bitch, <laughs> bitch chose, chose me. So Lee went, we can handle this like some gentlemen, or we can get to some gangster shit. shit. <laughs> oh, you! How, cr how quotable is that movie? The whole movie. That movie a classic. Also, in case you didn't know, Alan, this dude's ready to jump hold in on, anything on, you got going you go, on. Hey, before you even go there, a famous line from that movie is on the Chronic album. Straight up. Hey, you really don't understand, do you? Hey, you know how to make this thing work? We got to get rid of the pimps, prostitutes, hustlers, then start all over again clean. Nigga, Niggas, you crazy. crazy. Come on, man. Let's go. Let's go. How, how, by, by the way, how dope was Richard Pryor in that movie? Classic. Mm -hmm. uh, he's really speaking that shit. He's mm -hmm. really speaking Talking that, that shit. Talking that shit, yeah. He was in his zone, too. Oh, man. Uh, 99. You release American Pimp. Uh, where did just that mindset in the, and you felt like the need for that film come from? I got to be careful with this one because we got sued for this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we don't even have to talk about it if you don't want to. No, yeah, no, no. It's, it, just, it, just, it, it comes from my father. Okay. You know, and, and just wanting to understand him, mm -hmm. and um, and you know, my my mother and father went two different directions. She became a feminist, radical. He got off in that culture, you know, and and we lived in that culture in Detroit. That's the part of Detroit I remember mm -hmm. the most is being around uh, women of the night, that lifestyle, uh, teaching yeah. them to read at, mm -hmm. at, at seven years old. It, it's funny, but it's it's you know, I've had to deal with that as an adult now and go, wow, I was waking up with with prostitutes, you know, uh, in my house. Um, and, and, um, recently having to go, Oh wait, that's not normal. You know? So that was um, me and my brothers, uh, trying to reconcile my father it was American pimp. So, and my mother taught us to put women, no matter what on pedestals. So we were always, so you're conflicted, you're getting right. our hearts broken. <laughs> <laughs> so I always, I said back then we always did, uh, at the time, we thought we did American Pimp as a reaction to our mother's feminism. Not to uh, degrade women at all, but to to go, hey, man, let's balance this shit out and go hang out with these guys, not knowing the father thing, whatever. But it was amazing. I remember about six months into shooting American Pimp, Rosebud asked us, he said, how are you guys doing in your relationships right now? I said, why is he asking this question? <laughs> and we were like, fucked up? He's like, yes, yeah, what happens when squares hang out with pimps? Mm. You guys can't do it. You know, mm. you, you come home being all empowered and shit like, no, nah, no, nah, I ain't taking the trash out. You take the trash out. It's like, this shit ain't flying. <laughs> but I got pimp friends for life now. Right. You know? Come on, man. A few. Uh, Book of Eli, 2010. Uh, you got to say, you say you learned from Denzel, but what was it like uh, initially working with him? I think working with Denzel, outside of Johnny Depp, who was a star as well, but. When we worked with Johnny Depp, he hadn't become the Pirates guy yet, mm -hmm. you know. Denzel, you know, um, you got to give him credit because I think he's the greatest movie star of all time when you look at the 
stat sheet. He's a, a, a real theatrical actor, meaning he can do Broadway. He's done Broadway. He comes from that. He's a $20 million plus movie, movie star. Um, he's got that thing that um, first that Tupac has, that thing, that, that charisma, that it thing. And he can do, and he's black. So you got to give him more credit than Mel Gibson or anyone you want to give credit to, right? Because he, he's got all those things. And despite um, being a black man in the business, he has all that, that how do you say he just became, he's everything. He's everything. So to be around him and to collaborate with him, he would, you, you learn more through osmosis with someone like that. Although Denzel does have sayings and stuff. What's one of his famous ones? We do what we have to do so we can do what we want to do. I butchered it. We do what we have to so we do what we want to, something like that. He has a lot of those, um, but he teaches you, um, he taught me about like, when he shows up on the set, th that's the money right there. Like everything, you just gotta get focused and and it's intangibles. I don't know how to describe the things. He taught me a lot about like, um, when you're doing a project too, like what company is this at? Do they really believe in it? How are they marketing this? How they plan on rolling this out? The whole process. The whole of process it. of because we do a lot of stuff that's great, but no one sees it. And you you learn as you get older, you're like, well, is that worth it? So he he's very strategic and intelligent about like, all right, what's the project? Who's my fan base? We can't offend them. We got to build off of that. How are we marketing and positioning this? When is it coming out? So he understands the whole business of it, and I'm just learning that through him was extraordinary. You know, uh, the. <laughs> Talk to us about the creative process for the soundtracks, particularly to A Minister Society, Dead Presidents, obviously Dear Mama, which you just dropped. Obviously, how, how important is that to the piece that you're putting together? I think music is everything. I think it, it starts with music with me first. Um, I think music is a superpower, you know, in these things too. If you don't have the right music, like with Dead Presidents, it started with Walk On By, Isaac Hayes, like that sound. That's what made that tone. movie. Yeah. That's at the tone. Mm -hmm. So we had that before the movie. And we tend to cut, me and my brother, get the music first and cut or design scenes around the music. And I still do that. And I was more the musical guy and the soundtrack guy. And my brother obviously was uh, collaborated in that as well. But I'm more the music guy. So I would put the soundtracks together. And we did a lot of uh, successful soundtracks. Menace, mm -hmm. Platinum, Dead Presidents, Platinum, American Pimp. Um, so now, unfortunately, there are no soundtracks. So... FX and uh, was like, hey, put the director's playlist together. Put the put the we're gonna do a, a Tupac playlist. So it's this it's I don't think it's sexy anymore. You don't have the tangible soundtrack and the artwork. But I still design it like all that stuff in Dear Mama. All the way the music's moving is something I'm obsessed with. Again, I'm a wanna be DJ, and I, there's Tupac tracks that like hardcore fans love that are like to me. Um, Maybe the beat is a little not yeah, well not, produced mm -hmm. or whatever. And I, I'm a fidelity guy, so like my favorite Tupac track of all time is "Shed So Many Tears" because of the whole it's the whole package in one, right? Um, and then you go all the way to "Me and My Girlfriend," which isn't which is an incredible like how do you say it, like musically and what he's doing, but it's raw. You can you can hear the rawness and blasphemy, Hail Mary. These things are like really raw and primal tracks. They're not as well mixed as Shed So Many Tears. He's not as polished 
which I like that later that he becomes more raw like that. So then you go, hey, later in Dear Mama, um, maybe we need to strip away some of these tracks. Maybe we need. I like to get the multi tracks and score with the multi track. So you bring in the drum or the strings and and then you apex out with the actual track and then you start deconstructing the track again. I did that a lot in um, Defiant One. So I like uh, that had never been done before where you, where you pull all the multi tracks and you start scoring the movie and playing with that with the audience. And I think fans get a lot more out of that. They get a whole new experience out of that. So I love that process. We we loved uh Master Society for the soundtrack reasons too, because y'all had UGK on the on his pocket for the right. songs. That's right. On the soundtrack. I always forget that, but because yeah. that was when they first came out. Yep. Yep. In fact, in, and here's a trivia, I don't know if that's the right word for it. In Japan, Menace to Society is called Pocket Full of Stones. Really? Because Menace to Society, they, there's no word for that in, in Japanese. I, at least then there wasn't. Mm -hmm. So I got off the plane and that's the name of the, the movie, Pocket, Pocket Full, Full of Stones. Stones. And I'm so, sure in Japan the stones weren't the kind of stones we was talking nah, about. <laughs> not damn sure it wasn't the stones we was pushing to put off. Defiant ones, you've you've talked about that a few times. Uh what was it like working with Jimmy and 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 Dre and 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 just both of their greatness and 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 again inheriting everything that kind of comes along with the process? Again, you're working with two guys that you're learning a lot about the game and the business and uh, Dre always was kind of like a, a mentor to me back in the day, back in the day, because I'm a, a sonic guy. And I'd always go over and ask him questions about recording and mixing and sonics. And, and, and then eventually he became like a big brother when it came to the business of, of what to do, what not to do. And Jimmy's a juggernaut in that respect. You know, Jimmy's also like a marketing genius. Um, and just as I learned a lot, I learned, I, I, I dropped a lot of bad habits because of those guys. I would get hung up. Jimmy, the, the, the number one thing I learned from Jimmy, because I've learned so much, is when Jimmy's on something, he doesn't, when he's like into something, he doesn't get offended. He he's he's tracking that thing. So sometimes Jimmy be all over me and I'm like, Jimmy, you're in my head. I can't, I gotta go make this movie. And I would avoid his calls for like two days. And the average person, if you avoid their calls, especially a powerful person. When they get in the phone, they go, listen, motherfucker, like this, then Jimmy would pick up right where he left off. Like it wasn't even two days. Like, because there's no time for that. <laughs> like he's, and he understands like it's the thing, it's the thing, it's the thing. Um, Jimmy also does everything in real time. I'm used to like, if we're all sitting here talking about business and Steven, you're like, man, Charlie owes me like $5,000. We can't do this deal right now until I get that $5,000. The old me would be like, all right, I'll call him later. Then I'll call you. Jimmy calls him right now. Hey, hey, Charlie, why, give him his five thousand. We're trying to make this. Deal. Everything's happening right now. I go, oh shit, I didn't know that. Like mm -hmm. that's how you close that gap. Mm -hmm. You know, all this. I'll call you later. I'll email you later. None of that shit exists with Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Everything's going down in the, moment. in the moment. You know, I'm similar to that. But can you speak to just uh, Dre and Jimmy's compatibility, almost peanut butter and jelly, how they just work well together? Ten speed and brown shoe. Yeah, whatever um, it may be. <laughs> you know what it is. I've never seen in a partnership like. The one doesn't want to be the other one. They appreciate each other. Stars in their and, roles. Yeah, they they, mm -hmm. they appreciate. You do this, I do that, and there's I've never seen ego with them. Where like the one's kind of on the load. There's always that jealous of the one, and no. And Jimmy, 
Dre is the synthesizer. So Jimmy's always got all these ideas and Dre's like, nope, nope, nope. Oh, hold on. Yep. So that, that works too because Jimmy's a mile a minute and, and Dre synthesizes it, you know, and, and, Dre, and Dre's laid. Dre's, as I told him years ago, you're the, you're the Sade of hip hop. So he's not, he's never horned himself out there. He's very selective. And I think that that's worked to his advantage and his mystique. And Jimmy knows how to operate that as well. That whole beats thing doesn't work with any other artist. One, because of the sonic genius that Dre is, but also he doesn't do everything. So you know, like, hey, this is... If he's touching yeah. it, it's mm -hmm. real. Uh, thoughts on the writer's strike? The writer's strike. You guys got writers on this show? <laughs> Shit, give them their money, man. Writers are like the bedrock of everything. Oh, man. I never understood that in even the music business, like people's getting their publishing jack. This guy really wrote the track, but everyone's jacking him and saying that, you know, like how do you not respect the foundation of everything? Writing is the foundation of the whole business. How do you not overpay a writer and underpay some directors, underpay some other talent? I don't, I just don't, I, I never got that. So they, when it comes to the streaming and everything like that, and it's hard to quantify when something's a hit, or if it is a hit, they can hide it from you. That's all bullshit. So hopefully they, you know, we get to a point where writers are not only compensated, but first in line to be taken well care compensated. Of, right, you know? taken care of. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is gonna make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one -on -one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one -on -one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard. He don't care about guarding. He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top not of that, like that, see that, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then he's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. 
Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You've worked with a, a long list of greatness. Any actors or actresses you've yet to work with that you'd be interested in working with? That's a good question. Uh, what'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> who is it who is it out there that uh no no you know it's funny because i could see someone on a on a tv show an unknown actor or talent and that really turned i go who is that oh really you know it, when you think of like um obviously yeah it would be great to work with de niro and you know but i don't think those guys are all like in their 80s now. They don't give a fuck, you know. What I mean, not that they wouldn't work with me, but like this ain't like we're all like in the same sandbox at the same age at the same time. Um, in today's generation, there's some talented people out there. Don't get me wrong, but it ain't what it was as far as where there's a lot of people you can point towards and go. You know, it's becoming a it's becoming a fame game now. Uh, and again, there are some talent, really talented actors out there, but none that. Um, in fact, I'll tell you this. I never wanted to work with Denzel until I saw a man on fire. That was dope. Now, training day, like my eye went up. I'm like, wait a minute, like something going on here. But when I saw a man on fire, then I was like, I he gotta was work. Amazing with him. a man on fire. Yeah. Mm. So that's that's how I, I'm wired. I'm I'm like looking at you can feel the energy, no matter if they're unknown or known, you go, Oh shit, what's this? You know? Does I'm, that make sense? Absolutely. I'm going to uh, throw a few names at you uh, in the black director space and just give me your thoughts. Uh, oh, rest in peace <laughs> oh, to the late, great John Singleton. Man, the only thing that makes me sad about John's journey is that he wasn't here to see his show become the success mm. it became. No but God bless him for that because it was a full circle mm -hmm. moment. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have Snowfall. Were you a fan of Snowfall? Yeah. Yeah. Late, too, like a lot mm -hmm. of people. 
Yeah, no, Jack, Jack, Jack put me on. He was on it early, put me on late, and I fell in love with it. Uh, Ryan Coogler. I even made him my own character on IG. <laughs> uh, Ryan, like, wow, here's a guy that not only did his thing in the independent world, but in the Marvel space with the Black Panther. For so many years, people say in this business, black doesn't travel. Black doesn't travel, meaning black doesn't make money international. African-American films don't make money international. And for many years, I always said, well, put them at the same table with the same resources, the same marketing, and it will make the same. And Ryan proved that with Black Panther. That's a billion-dollar franchise. And they didn't treat him or that character any different than any other Marvel character. And you see what happens. It's a success. I got a quick story. So Ryan used to play uh, junior college football with my little brother. So when I was in the league playing for the Warriors, like he would be spending the night in my house on the couch with my brother and his homeboys. So when uh, Fruitville Station came out and I was into it, he's like, you know, my homeboy made that. Like, yeah, right. He's like, no, you remember the dude used to sleep on the couch with the dreads? I'm like, that's him. I'm like, what? It's crazy. So then from there, we became cool. And I went to set when he was first doing the first Black Panther. I went on Disney. Oh, wow. And, he, and we went and he's like, look around. He's like, you don't see no one that looks like me here. And we walked all over. He showed me all over the Disney campus. And he was like the, the, on the very first Black Panther. That shit was dope. You know what? There was another thing with him that I really love is he's not out there just. No, you know, he's he, way by, rarely speaks. Yeah. Doesn't I like love to that speak. about him. Doesn't even like to speak. He lets his work speak for himself. Yeah. You know? uh, Antoine Fuqua. Antoine's like one of the greatest shooters of the bunch. Like the way he, the way his shit looks, the way it feels. Obviously training day, but you know, he's a he's a world class shooter like uh, Tony Scott. Um so he 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 takes um black cinema to another level because of the the way it's moving and sounding and it's it's like on some rock star shit, so I really appreciate it. You get a chance to see Emancipation? I haven't. Oh, yeah. that was good. I yeah. haven't. Um, Spike Lee. Spike is the, you know, Spike likes to think of himself as the the godfather. Um, and he's he's the uncle of black cinema. And you gotta give him credit because there are there are gentlemen in the seventies, uh Melvin Van Peoples being the one that comes to mind, that are like the godfathers of black cinema, right? But Spike is um, the great uncle of modern black cinema. And without him, all this stuff that's happening right now um, wouldn't be happening right now. He had to go take all the bullets in the 80s when there were none. There were none of us around directing and writing films. And if they were, we didn't know of them. So Spike was a trailblazer, and obviously, you know, and they're now giving him his flowers later, you know, um, with the Black Klansman and, and, and the Academy he won for that, that award he won for that. Um, and I'm glad he's here, and, and we've had our our, our 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 complex relationship with Spike as well. But I'm real thankful because without Spike, I remember when She's Got a Habit came out, that fucking opened us all the way up, you know, like and how artistic it was. Because Spike started as like a real crafty art, art artist, um, independent filmmaker, you know, um, and that challenges he had even bringing Malcolm X to the screen. By the way, you would think in '91 that wouldn't be that much of a challenge he he sure suffered a lot though. for that wow yeah. uh f gary gray f gary gray got to give a lot of props to i came up with, with we same all time came up right at the same time yeah we were shooting music videos at the same time and when you look at i mean there's ones in between but when you look at friday one of the most original comedies ever done forget black comedies period very original and there's shout out to dj Pooh and ice cube and whatever but without gary showing up and doing his thing same thing with straight out compton you know, like all the way over to there, like 
to understand that 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 needed to be seen by the masses. He didn't water it down, but he made it accessible. Uh, he made um, straight out of Compton that whole that whole movement. It's hard to make it so people can get into it outside of the people that love the music. Right, and I think that was the brilliance uh, he brought to that project. Mm. Any projects that you can speak on that you're working on? I'm working on Snoop's biopic next. Yeah, that's dope. I'm working on talk, yeah, talk to us about that. I don't need to hear about that. You know, I was been developing things with Snoop for years, and then all of a sudden he drops this idea that Universal Pictures is all over it, and they fast tracking, and he brings it to me, and I'm like, how did I not even think of this as a film, a scripted film? And um, I said, you know what? Over the years, a lot of people have been wanting me and my brother to go back and do a hood film. I said, I don't want it. Or do Menace sequel. I said, this is the way to do a hood film, but make it inspiring and transcendent. And I think, I always tell Snoop, I go, you you got the same energy that Muhammad Ali had. It's like this worldwide, international love, this energy that if you're eight or you're 80, don't doesn't matter what country you're from, people smile when they see Snoop. So he's a success story. And he's also, he he uses that word understanding a lot trying to get an understanding. He is always trying to broker some kind of peace or understanding. And I'm like, we almost lost him. I mean, he was that close to going to prison, this close for life for that murder trial. And look what look what we gained from it. You know, look at what an international um, icon he's become. And he's heavy in his community and, and doing great things in the community. And, and I just... Every time I sit with Snoop, my tank fills up. I'm inspired. He's a great listener, too. It's rare you, you're sitting around a real rock star that, li you know how Snoop listens. He goes, hmm. He feels it. He, he feels, feels it. it. And if you ask him a long question, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. If you ask him like a long-winded question, he goes, hmm, hmm. He'll answer it chronologically the way you asked it. Interesting. Yeah. I, think, I think it's interesting you, you spoke to communication and understanding with him because that's what you see when you talk to him, just communication and wants understanding. And and, and, and and he listens. He also taught me, I'm going to embarrass myself with him right now. Snoop listens with his heart. He doesn't listen with his ego. You know, you, and that's rare for someone that's been through what he's been through and is as famous and as he's famous. And the star he is, right? He, he goes in there and he's like really taking it into his spirit and he's such a sage now. I don't. Maybe he always was, but the shit he be saying, you're like, God damn, that's deep snoop. <laughs> Any of the movies you've made, you've ever do a part two to? Nope, none. Oh, we're we're doing a a prequel series to um, Book of Eli. Oh, really? Yeah, because that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, how did this how happen? Did he get there? When did he learn these skills? Was he blind? When was he blind? How did he go? You know, when mm -hmm. he learned it? You know. Uh, any advice you'd give up-and-coming young aspiring filmmakers? Oh, man, that's a tough one. It goes back to uh, what my mother said, and Easy E taught me this. Like again, through osmosis, like be yourself. Find out who you are, and stay true to who you are. Um, no one can be you but you, right? Find out what your voice. A lot of people don't realize they haven't even discovered what their voice is. That's a big deal. Like, like what is it you're here to say and do? Even if you're not a, a talker, because some people think you got to be talking to have a voice. Sometimes it's your guitar that's your voice. Sometimes it's that basketball that's your voice. Um, but find out what your what your particular brand of. That's what Easy taught me is like. What is it that he never said this? I just saw it. What is it that makes you unique? And how do you leverage that into the thing where people can? You're taking moving the medium too. 
I'm a big believer in studying your history too. Cause you know what they say past is prologue. So like study your history so you know where you are and your places and what you're doing to move the game forward. And cause you got to keep pushing the medium, pushing the game. And even when I was um, uh, studying a, a Fanny's journey, Tupac's mother, I'm like, okay, what, where was she in the timeline of civil rights? What had happened before her? What mm -hmm. was happening during her? And any great is gonna study the game and study like the OGs and like, and what made them great and what are you, what are you taking from them into your game? But you can't be Michael Jordan. You can't be LeBron. You can only be the. You can only adopt the things that work for you. Yeah. Right. And make them yours. So study, 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 study. People don't study enough. I don't think. It sounds think, boring. They but, think it yeah. comes like that. Yeah. Before we get you out of here, I mean, you've had the opportunity to be friends and work with so many great people in this industry. Uh, you spoke to Easy E, being someone who you was a mentor. Can you speak to to Easy and and what your guys' relationship was like? Easy was, he, his name was Easy for a reason. He was so laid back. And um, I think Easy uh, taught me a lot about theme too. Like, what's the what's the theme of this thing we're doing? What's the theme of the first NWA album? Fuck the police. That's the theme, <laughs> right? The second NWA album. His whole thing was like, we're we're like uh, they wanted to be Guns and Roses, and and the whole theme of it was like excess and like punk rock beyond punk rock where it was where man that niggas for life album is ill like they they he knew that that i don't know if the word is theme because it wasn't like this overarching theme but it was a concept easy wasn't the concept like and he taught me a lot about like what is this there's that whole thing what are we doing why are we doing it those two things come with right but the how is the thing most people forget like how are we executing this What's different about how we're doing this? Because they've all said it before, like all stories have been told. I don't really believe that, but I get it. Like the, you know, the beats of stories, we've we've heard them all. So now it's how are you executing that story that makes it different? And a la uh, uh, dear mom, like, uh, let's make it a dual story. Let's make the timelines blend. Let's innovate this so people understand Tupac more through his mother's journey, kind of like The Godfather too. Yeah, Vito and and Michael mm -hmm. back and forth, right? So, I think um, that's what Easy taught me: the what, the why, and the how. So, all right, quick hitters. Uh, first thing to come to mind: oh shit, top five most impactful films in your opinion? Of God all time. damn, you! This is some tough shit. You guys, I'd be editing this shit so I can take a break right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you say top five most impactful films, you mean to me to or to the culture? To you. I, I mean, this is so, I mean, I sound like a cliche now. Scarface, The Godfather, for me, uh, uh, personally, Raging Bull. That's my personal favorite. Um, uh, impactful films. Feature films. To you, uh, whatever got you going. Goodfellas got us going. Am I at four now? Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because I'm going to regret this because I'm going to forget the one. What was the one? What was the one? You know what? I got to give American Me credit. Ooh, American Me, uh, James, uh, Edward James almost directed the, mm -hmm. that the was one good. about the Mexican gangs. Yeah. Card nine. Us. Come on, man. Yeah. You got you know, mm -hmm. If you haven't seen that, go check it out, man. American You're tripping if you haven't seen American Me. Mm -hmm. yeah. That changed us because we had wrote the script of Menace and we thought we had it and we wouldn't saw that movie with Tiger Williams, our writer. 
we went back to the drawing board. After that and that. blood in and blood out. That's right. They on the same That's level. Right. First thing you do in the morning, last thing you do at night. Shit, shower, and shave. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> First thing I do in the morning when I'm home is jump in the cold plunge. Ooh. Jump in that ice water. Fuck. Yep. That's better than coffee. That was That's the worst part about being an athlete was getting that ice in the cold plunge. Did it work? Yeah, hell yeah. Great. It, it brought down inflammation. Absolutely. It's yeah. just good for you. You overall. guys came up with that. We're just now getting that science, right? Man. Then getting the sauna. And at night, I like to do the same thing, cold plunge sauna. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Soundtrack to your life. Give me three songs. Damn, you said three songs. God damn. Jimi Hendrix, Machine Gun, 12 Minutes. Um, anything Curtis Mayfield uh, after 71 and, be, and before uh, 75. <laughs> I'll just say, give me your love. Let's just say that. Um, in uh, third song, damn, I'm gonna be pissed about not remembering this one either. Minnie Rippleton, loving you. Yeah. Five dinner guests, dead or alive. Five dinner guests. You God plus damn. five. Talking about anything at the table: cigars, weed, alcohol, good food. Mark Twain. That's the first. George Carlin. That's the first. George Richard Pryor. Carlin. Richard Pryor, yeah. Um, Muhammad Ali. Is that four? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bob Marley. Who? Bob Marley. Marley. Yeah. Big Bob. I should have put more conflicting motherfuckers in there, though. No. <laughs> You got a, you've had enough confliction. You good? You got just, just enjoy your dinner. Being biracial is a conflict in itself. Man, talk to him. Man, people don't understand. You're never black enough. You're never white enough. So you just got to fight. Hence all the scars on my knuckles. There you go. Barack synthesized it though. Right. <laughs> he synthesized it. She's like, wait a minute. Uh, hey, I got it. I got it. I got it. But even him, he's not the first biracial president. He's the first black president. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What? It was it one one. What was the rule? Wow. One, one, yeah, some bullshit. One drop of blood, and you black. Go ahead, stat. Cause you extra black. <laughs> <laughs> I like how fucking laid back. You just be sitting there like, mm-hmm. something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> who, who would you like to see on all the smoke? But ooh, you, but you have to help us get your answer on the so show. It's got to be someone in that Rolodex. In my Rolodex, yes, sir. Something I just know. work with him. I just work with him. I want to see. Uh, Arnold, the governor. Oh, Schwarzenegger. I want to see him. Yeah. You just did something with him? I just did a three-part documentary with him. Oh, dope. Uh, I produced and, and put it together. and um, Yeah, he loves cigars, so there's okay. smoke involved. But yeah. to see him with you guys, that would be amazing. Anything you have, I mean, before we get out of here, you have that, anything else you have coming out currently that we need to stay tuned for? Obviously, Dear Mama right now, make sure you check that out. Incredible. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming out. Um, say that name, say that last name. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I always have a hard time. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. June 7th, that drops. Okay. Yeah. Where, uh, you know? Uh, Netflix. Look at me. Fucking up already. There you go. Well, man, uh, Alan, we appreciate your time. Uh, How random was that one, though? That was a good one, though. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) I was expecting a different pigment. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's that's why I say, like, Mix it up. There you go. We got some uh, some gear for you. All oh, the smoke. Shit. That store, you can catch that. But uh, we really just want to 
you know, give you your flowers, your greatness, uh, what you've meant to the culture, the, the 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 lines and dots you've connected for us, and 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 the greatness you've given all of us. Continue success to not only you but your other half, your brother. <laughs> give him, uh, give him our best. And uh, man, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. We appreciate, appreciate it, man. Guys, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Man, that's a wrap. Alan Hughes, all the smoke. Catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform. Black Effects. We'll see y'all next week. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.